This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Take the sport of roller derby, drop it into underworld Russia, and script it like it's an episode of Monday Night Raw, all while everyone is dressed like they're in a German new wave band, and give the lead action role to someone who had never done an action movie before. That sounds like it should work. But did it? Find out as we take 2002's Rollerball and prove to you that it's not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades and B movies. Now, I want to point out that in doing this show, sometimes we as a podcast sacrifice ourselves for you, the listeners, and sacrifice ourselves we did today because we are talking 2002's Rollerball. Oh, dear God, why did we choose this movie? But joining me on our self-inflicted wounds today is simon bennett simon welcome to the show how are you man i want to point out this is the first time we've been in the same room in a year at least at least and yeah this was my i think rollerball was my idea why did you choose this why did I you don't do know. this to I us i went low in the rotten tomatoes scores oh i've seen that i'm sure it'll be that bad watching it again uh-huh i saw this piece of crap in the theater and thought it was bad then um well, so, you, so you didn't learn the first time no no <laughs> Oh man, we I'm not going to lie. This is one of those times when you watch the movie and go, "Yeah, it's pretty bad, but we are we are holding ourselves to as many good things as possible that we can find out of this." But before we, you know, dive into the breakdown of what of how good or bad this movie is, it's time to take Rollerball and trailerize it. In 2002 movie Russia, you don't play Rollerball. Rollerball plays you. American Pie's Chris Klein goes from lacrosse player Oz to Jonathan Cross, a guy so hardcore he doesn't even bother to stand up on a skateboard. With his friend Marcus Ridley, played by megastar LL Cool J, they become the hottest stars in the most dangerous sport, made even more dangerous by the ratings-hungry mogul Jean Renault. No amount of violence will help these ratings. Rollerball somehow rated PG-13. <laughs> I think I'm gonna kill Simon. There's a story them. behind why it's PG-13. Oh, there, too. there's a, there's a, there's all kinds of stories behind this movie. There's an insane backstory to what went on in in the making of this film. Um, and when you read up on it, it's like, oh dear God. But for those who haven't had the joyous pleasure of watching rollerball uh let's let, let's go through who stars this it stars chris klein ll cool j jean renault rebecca romaine stamos when she was still married to john stamos the important hyphen there the important hyphen there which no longer exists and paul Heyman. but did you know that it almost starred keanu reeves as jonathan cross 
What was he doing at the time? I clearly something. Or did he better. just say no? I think that's one of those things where like, yeah, no, I gotta wash my hair. Uh Nicholas Cage was also in talks <laughs> to do was uh, offered a lead role. I I, yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised if they were looking at him as possibly the Jean Renault role as far as the media mogul goes. I could see that. I could I clearly say and the funny thing too is as you're watching Chris Klein in this film you have those moments of like, oh, he's trying to be discount Keanu Reeves. And that kind of makes sense that Keanu Reeves was was originally offered the role. And yeah, Jean Renault is kind of doing a, a almost like knowing that Nicolas Cage may have been offered that role. I could see Nicolas Cage in that role and Jean Renault kind of almost portrays that. It's it's very odd when you realize that who could have been in those roles. It was directed by John McTiernan. And if the name John McTiernan sounds familiar, that's because the dude can direct, right? Die Hard, Predator, Hunt for Red October, The Thomas Crown Affair, and The Last Action Hero. So we had to squeeze that one in. This was the second to last film that he has directed. The, the, the last one was 2003's Basic. There's a reason why it was the second and last And this movie film. has something to do with that, too. Yeah, very much so. Messed up. Although currently he is in production for a movie, something called Tau Seti 4, which stars Uma Thurman. Um, this, of course, was the remake of the 1975 James Conn film. Um, clearly not as good as the James Conn film. Have you seen the original? I have not, but I, I've heard good things about it. And a lot of the messages that were they attempted to portray in the original was sort of the backdrop in at least some of the editing attempts at this movie in 2002 um, that did not come across well at all. It it did not. And and that's the thing, too, is that, admittedly, I have not seen the the original James Caan classic. Um, And it kind of falls into that, I I think, like that Death Race 2000 kind of vibe where it's like, it's such an out-there kind of movie, but there's also like this underlying commentary on on violence and all that kind of stuff. And, And again, admittedly, I have not seen the original Rollerball. So the nice thing is I got to watch this without the weight of expectation or the weight of comparison to 1975. Didn't help, but... <laughs> you know, it's interesting, too. If you look at the cast on its own without the movie, pretty good cast. For, for 2002, absolutely. Yeah. Now, say what you will about Chris Klein. The fact that this is his first action movie. But, you know, prior he was to huge this, then. This was, was his first was. real big thing after American Pie. Exactly. But, you know... It was very good. No. In need of a new agent. Uh, Clearly, the audience uh, agreed because this film had a $70 million budget. 70, 70. It made worldwide $25 million. So, it's a big money loser. It did debut in number three uh, on its opening weekend, February 8th weekend of 2002. Uh, The number one spot went to Collateral Damage, which was also debuting that weekend uh number two was big fat liar um so clearly the yeah I, even i don't know i would have to look that movie up but so i just had that what that, that moment rollerball debut and in third at nine million now nine million's not too bad 2002 but You're going you, up against collateral damage too like that was a pretty big movie right but but, but the key thing here is that by week two it was out of the top 10. Ooh. When you realize that it's a it's a $9 million opening weekend. It only made $18 million domestically. So half of its 
total domestic box office take is in that opening weekend. That's, Which means word of mouth was not good. It was not. Um, neither were the accolades, quote unquote, quotation fingers for all of you who are trying to envision us actually sitting down and talking about this. The Razzies that year. Rebecca Romaine was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. She lost to Madonna for her cameo in Die Another Day. That was it for the Razzies, but in 2002, there was something called the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. And here's, and here's where, yeah. I, I remember reading about this. Okay. This is so, this is so bad. This is so bad. John McTiernan won the Stinker for Worst Director that year. Rebecca Romaine nominated for Worst Actress for this and Femme Fatale. Um, of course, she lost to Madonna for Swept Away. I think justifiably so, because Swept Away was just a steaming pile of island dirt, whatever. I don't know. Uh, she also won for f- Worst Fake Accent by a Female Actress. Uh, and the movie won for Worst Remake. I, worst Remake, I can see. McTiernan is dir- as bad director. Yeah. It's messed up that McTiernan... I didn't realize who the director was. Mm-hmm. Until, like... His resume up until that is impeccable. We were talking. We were talking the the most talked about Christmas non Christmas movie ever, and then we get to talk about Rollerball. As far as the critics went, currently, two thousand two's Rollerball sits at a three percent tomato meter and a fourteen percent audience score. But to put that in comparison, the nineteen seventy five original sits at a sixty seven percent tomato meter and a 61 percent audience score so while you know that i mean that's a big swing when you're talking a 64 percent difference in critic response from the original to the remake but is it that bad yes is this really a three percent movie see you're thinking about it now aren't you well, 3% is pretty harsh. It is pretty harsh. It has to have absolutely no redeeming value whatsoever. That is pretty much the equivalent of, do you have to have a gun to your head to watch this again? Now, I ask you, did your wife hold a gun to your head while you were watching this film for the show? No. No. And I was not there to hold the gun to your head. And you're the one who picked it. So We, we did this voluntarily. I, I It was actually <laughs> on rewatch, and I saw it when it came out in the theater. Were you not there with me? No. It was just our friend I, Mel. I think because there's a bit of a WWE tie to it, not just Heyman. Mm-hmm. And I feel like... You'll, you'll have to refresh my memory. Is this... Because Paul Heyman, of course, was like the, 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 the big mastermind behind ECW, of course. Was 2002, was that still ECW time or had, had he jumped to WWE by this point? He was already at WWE. So the timeline with him and WWE, and it's interesting, I did some research on this and there's controversy as to whether in 2000 Paul Heyman bailed an ECW to do the movie because it was right around the time when they were filing for bankruptcy and WWE bought them and bought their video library and they were on TNN. Remember TNN? Right. When it wasn't the Nashville network and they had ECW randomly. How many times is that network? I think it was TNN and then it was Spike. What is it now? Then I think it's Paramount now. Is it Paramount? I think it's Paramount. I have no idea. Mm. Um, But... Um, it was interesting. Some it sounds like some of the wrestlers accused him of sort of bailing on ECW to do the movie. His recollection or how he describes the timeline was that sort of the horse is already out of the barn at that point, 
And then in 2001, he spent most of 2001 as a commentary. Remember, WWE fired Jerry Lawler because... Mm-hmm. No, hang on. Sorry, he didn't fire him. The cat, remember, he was married to the cat. They fired the cat. cat. Yep. They fired her and he left in, sort of in support of them, of her. And then he came back, Survivor Series that year. And so that, those 10 months in between, it was Paul Heyman next to um, JR. Right. And then he was a big part of the awful Alliance storyline when it was like, you know, because they bought the WCW sale happened that year. So they they did the invasion and right. ECW became part of that. There was a whole episode where ECW formed with WCW and made it the Alliance. It was um, not well executed. But so Heyman was sort of part of the WWE product that whole year. And then this movie came out in 2002 right after that. So, I mean, there's some interesting controversy. And there's also... Now, I've been trying to figure this out. I thought WWE put money into this movie. Well, considering that one of the cameos in this film is Shane McMahon. Mm -hmm. So you have to think that there probably was some financial backing in there. The fact that Shane McMahon actually did make. I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like, hey, Paul, you might want to do good because Shane is watching. Shane is there. Well, and also the scene where Shane appears, Mm -hmm. what happens... Jean Renault basically threatens another owner with a gun and everyone else who's in the area all gets scared and they cut away to Shane twice and it's blatantly obvious it's him. Right. And and I wonder if that was on purpose. But Here like, comes the money. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, so it was interesting. But I thought WWE was, it was around the time they were starting to look into getting their people out there more. I mean, The Rock is the other, the big example of that around that time. Mm-hmm. And when you think of the fact that this came out in 2002, and then in 2003, The Rock was, was of course, in The Rundown. Um, so you had, like, Dwayne Johnson's getting out there, and this, of course, was when he was still being billed as The Rock or Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So there was still very much a WWE tie to him at that time. And, and I don't remember the timeline, but, of course, remember that Triple H was in Blade Trinity. So I have to take a look back at what at what year that that came out. But yes, there was a massive push to get their the, to get their wrestlers out and onto the big screen for whatever that was worth. In some cases, it worked, and in some cases, it did not. Um, but let's get into the acting of this. And since we're on the topic, I'm going to throw it to you because you were a big fan of Paul Heyman in this. I thought Paul Heyman was like the best part of the movie, mm-hmm. unintentionally or not. Um, I I have a feeling all his commentary scenes were shot in like a little box office all at once right but i don't know like we because we in a movie that doesn't have many redeeming qualities he was actually okay we had talked about this when we were talking about the love guru in that you have this you know weight of you know the commentators for a sporting event in a movie whether it be an action or a comedy movie are very much you know for lack of a better term bundles of exposition in a nice suit now paul Heyman didn't necessarily have a nice suit in this one he just very much looked like paul Heyman, and that's what you wanted out of paul Heyman because you know for paul Heyman to be to be dressed up in a suit and be a professional play-by-play guy would not necessarily fly because it's paul freaking Heyman. it worked for stephen colbert and Jim Gaffigan in The Love Guru because they could pull off that look and most hockey play-by-play guys um, dress up for the occasion. Paul Heyman, I don't know if he would dress up for any occasion you know, if he's on camera, but yes. He, he does now. He does this now, This is free yes. Brock Lesnar advocate. This is still Paul E. Dangerously this is ECW, with the baseball cap yeah. and a ponytail. Exactly. And that's exactly how he looked in the movie. And the funny thing, because he is very much like 
almost like the narrator slash exposition for this entire thing. And he does kind of help portray not just the, the what the hell's going on in the arena of rollerball, but you know where the emotion of the film is going to go. And that's because there's times when he's looking at like the rule changes and whatnot, and that's the turn of everything. By the way, there's going to be like ton of spoilers in here but you're 19 years behind if you haven't seen this movie so you are 19 years better than us at this point um but yeah it, it he almost sets the tone with how he's reacting to things that's happening either in the arena or behind the scenes of the notes that he's given they're using him as the guy that sort of carries the storyline arc and shifts you from place to place whether that's lazy writing it probably is but like you know Whenever there needs to be anything explained, there's there's one scene where they tr- where they have Jean Renault and the other guy. Oh my god, I forgot his name. The the curly haired guy, Nevin Andrews yeah. as, as Sanjay. Sanjay, they have they kind of have this during the first rollerball match that is shown. They have the two of them talk about the vibe and how it works, but it's just really bad dialogue. It's just an excuse to just a lazy way to get over what this is actually about. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it is Heyman. And he's almost like the human conscious of the film too. Like at the very end, when basically they're all trying to kill Jonathan Cross, he's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Now, the funny thing is like, the original cut of this film apparently was like two hours long and like very much, you know, like, MGM basically told them to cut it down, like cut 30 minutes out and then there were reshoots and whatnot. And I wonder how much of... Paul, you know, Paul Heyman was involved in those reshoots because you could see a difference in, you know, the press boxes that he was in. So I wonder how much more of Paul Heyman, because I'm sure he was probably a good note as far as the studio notes went on the initial cut. I wonder how much more they wanted of him to be able to carry the storyline because the action or what was happening on screen didn't necessarily convey where we were, what was going on, how we're supposed to feel. I could see the studio saying, hey, you know what? Put put more him in. He's he's good. We enjoyed him. Did you see the story about the sc- the initial screening? I had heard that there, um, there's the, a, the, the guy from find... the, the guy from Ain't It Cool News. Yeah, um, who'd who'd gone in and like it 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 wasn't good. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, he went in and they were the, the people that were at the screening were jeering, and that led to a lot of the uh, reshoots and re-edits. Also. They edit it to PG thirteen, so mm-hmm. the like this movie actually would have worked better if it was really violent, and it really wasn't. At one point, the first guy on Jonathan Cross's team, that first one where he gets hit with the metal ball yeah. in the face, you can tell that the sweat splash was edited in post production. It's not convincing at all. It's decolored or desaturated. Yeah. It's awful. And then some of the collisions in the last, especially in the last scene, you can tell. There was edits where it may have gone a bit further, mm-hmm. and he just edited out the impact, and you could—it t- was just bad editing. Yeah, I mean, there were some of those, you know, on on the rollerball on the rollerball court incidents. That's a hard to—that's hard to say. Rollerball. Um, um, it's also hard to get through. But there, there's some that really worked, like the the uh, the cutting the gas line on. Um, on Rebecca Romaine's motorcycle and then, you know, yep. uh, Ridley having to save her by by yanking her off of there by sacrificing himself by going over the wall kind of thing. Like, those moments really worked. Um, but yes, like, if, if th- it's clear that this was aimed to be an R-rated film. But I know there was a lot... I mean, like, we talked about this um, on the last episode where we were talking about Be Cool, where, you know, 
they went into it expecting to make an R movie, um, and then the studio said, nah, make a PG-13. I think it'd be cool that worked, because at the heart of it, it's still a comedy. In this, it's a underground, underworld, dystopian bloodshed match, and you gotta make a PG-13. Good luck with that. This is not a PG-13 plot. No. It, like, it should have been an R movie. Never should have been. No. Never. And, and uh, John McTiernan felt interference from other people in the studio, and his paranoia slash suspicion is what got him in the trouble. Mm-hmm. Big time, but we can get to that. But, oh, like, we, we will definitely we'll get, get into that. that. But, like, <laughs> but yeah, they were definitely... Like, from. It was supposed to be a lot more violent, and you were supposed to see a lot more of Rebecca Romaine naked. That's mm-hmm. essentially what got cut out. And I, I know there were there was pushback from her on the amount of nudity that was that was going to be in the film, and that's totally fine. I, I don't think it needed it. No. I think what I think what was there in the in the final cut was enough of that. And and you know, you know full credit to her for for standing up for that. Like it doesn't need to be there. It doesn't need to be salacious. She insisted on the ice car. On, on exactly. Yeah. Which okay, can we can we just get rid of this? Let me point out this trope for a second here. There was this scene where she's trying to hide her scar, and Chris Klein's like, you know, you know, you're not that ugly. Can we stop? Can we just stop taking some of the most attractive women in the world, put like a little bit of makeup on them, and say, oh, look, she's ugly. Again, like, this movie was 2002. Mm-hmm. I think things would be different now. Um, but... In many, it's just socially in the way movies get made now. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, uh, that, that, that's like putting, you know, overalls on Rachel Lee Cook and saying, oh, look, she's a geek. She's not, she's not attractive. Oh, I know. <laughs> you make them quote unquote, you know what's funny? All those movies that we grew up in where you make them quote unquote ugly or nerdy or not attractive. And I'm like, they looked better before. Right? What are you doing? Don't, don't she's all that. Or her, she's, don't like she, put makeup on her. She's it's already all that. And Rebecca Romain, can we, uh, let's get let's talk about Rebecca Romain because you know we mentioned that you know she got the the Stinker Award for for worst female accent. She was nominated for worst you know for worst supporting actress in the Razzies. I don't think she was that bad. I think she was a victim of a poorly written character. Yes, and uh, I mean people made fun of the accent. Kind of reminds me of Lana, formerly recently until recently of WWE, where she was uh, Russian with Rusev and. That accent slowly faded away and faded away. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, like, no, she wasn't that bad. She was a victim of cliche writing, mm-hmm. going back to the, I'm going to put a scar on me to make me quote unquote ugly. And, um, and, but she actually served a purpose, which was Jonathan Cross's conscience mm-hmm. and the vessel to alert him that not everything was rosy exactly in this very she, dangerous rollerball she, league exactly she's she's the she's the the, the red alert light she's the mm-hmm. one that that points out to them that yeah you know you money hungry americans not everything is rosy here you, you need to open your eyes right but at no point was she ever you know over the top was she ever you know it was a poorly written character and i don't think there's any actress you could put in there that would do any any better let i mean let, let's be honest like the, those early x-men films which you know if i remember correctly 2000 was the first x-men film you know her mystique was a bang on perfect uh version of mystique you know much better than what jennifer lawrence has done with the with with the character as of late i think mystique was 
played perfectly by Rebecca Romaine Stamos, now Rebecca Romaine, and, you know, I, I, you put any actress in that role, and I think that character is worse. There are two things about this movie that would have served it better, and I was watching it and wondering if you made it now, how much better it would be. Mm-hmm. One is maybe have... Because, you know, we talk about representation. There are more female writers, more female directors. Have someone to flush out Rebecca Romaine Stamos's character better. Mm-hmm. Have a woman write it, maybe. Or help write the character. I, I will say that... It was it, very male. Looking at looking at the production, it was a very male production, what I can say, just behind the scenes. If this movie came out in 1980s, though, I guarantee you Bridget Nielsen <laughs> is in yes. that role. Absolutely. Red yeah. freaking Sonia is yeah. in that role. And that would be about it. Um, the other thing, technically, so the, the edit in all these like TV elements, random Japanese commercials, and the whole overarching uh, thing is we're feeding the ratings, we're feeding the commercial monster. Mm-hmm. That would have worked a lot better now if instead of those TV segments, it's TikTok, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, mm-hmm. and you look at the likes. And, and That would have worked a lot better. You see that work now with the MCU. You saw it in... Um, uh, Spider-Man uh, Far From Home. You know, you saw that a bit in Shang-Chi, how everything is, you know, you know that, that underworld, global rating kind of thing, like, that worked in Shang-Chi. It doesn't... It, it worked in this in the fact that, you know, they're upping the violence level in order to, to boost the ratings. I'm not surprised by that by that story arc. It, it makes sense. Like, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the part of the story that does make sense. But watching it 19 years after it comes out, did it not feel like you were watching like bad cutscenes out of a PlayStation 1 game? It felt like we were back at the score and you were cutting random video things, effects on Spheres. Oh, God. And no one understands. <laughs> the, the, oh, right, no. Right now, there are three people listening to this going, I get that reference. Yeah, I know. <laughs> They're having their Captain America moment. It, it was cutting DVC Pro. Um, what, what was, do you, do you remember? What was the uh, like the trampoline basketball league that oh. was on Spike? Oh my yes! What was that called? I don't remember what it was called. It's 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 it, it's killing me now that that I can't remember what it's called. But it kind of felt like that in that it was you know this extreme sport with all these characters. I mean like like yes, it had a bit of an American Gladiators feel to it. Remember if you remember too, there was a roller derby league that used to appear on NBC. Uh, that would have like bands playing. I, mean, I remember watching Warrant perform on this roller derby that was on NBC at the time. Like it felt like one of those you know extreme sports on cable TV kind of thing. And slam ball, slam ball. That's, that's what, what it was. It was. Thank, do you remember? Thank you, Google. Do you remember? Here's a small world for you. Do you remember when I was the ring announcer for the Pillow Fight League? The Pillow Fight League. Yes. <laughs> for those who. Well, most of you who won't know, here in Toronto, they did, it literally was a pillow fight league, but not what you would think. They did it like pro wrestling. It was all women Which fighting. Which had better writing than rollerball. Our, <laughs> no, yeah, the scripting was better than a rollerball, but they, they treated it like pro wrestling. They had a proper training, well, sort of proper training from what I heard. And and uh, you would do wrestling moves, but the pillow always had to be in place. So if you punch the other, your opponent in the face, the pillow had to be between you or in your hands. So I was a ring announcer for a couple of months. Um, oh my God, it's Dalfeld! My, my God! Uh, so, I was, so there's a point to this. Uh, a, a guy we used to work with, or 
the guy we used to work with, his ex-wife was the top heel. That's how I got into it. That's classic. I know. Uh, she was really good at it, too. Um, but so, um, so the pillow always had to be in play. The guy who ran it at the time, his wife ran roller derby in Toronto. Okay. When Rogers TV used to show, like, roller derby on, like, local cable. Mm-hmm. So... There were no motorcycles involved, I take it. No. None. No motorcycles, and I think... Also, what kind of veering off again, I saw, the first thing I thought of when I watched some of the battle sequences, Quidditch, Harry Potter. You know what's funny? Quidditch, I, I get, you know, especially because, like, you know, there's always something kind of going on in the background, but um, Whip It came to mind starring um, Elliot Page. Oh, I don't know this. And I believe Drew Barrymore was in that, too. Oh, uh, yes! Yeah. The, there's the roller skate. So, roller skating, like, Roller Derby was cool about 15 years ago. It was. And and Whippet was actually a really, really good movie. Um, Rollerball was not. No. Whippet is the superior rollerball. No motorcycles involved either there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think Rebecca Romaine was very much uh, a victim of a bad script. Uh, but let, let's get to the top of the billing, though. And Chris Klein, our discount Keanu Reeves. Oh, he was bad. As Jonathan Cross. Not convincing as a bad, as an action hero at all. In fact, in some of the key moments... In the movie, he's like whining. I don't know we can do this. Right. I don't know. We, we, we got a guy. It'd be like if I was the action hero and facing any peril. I don't think I can do this. Exactly. I mean, like, you know, it's so 2002 extreme, right? Where he does like, not fit in at all. He doesn't. I mean, personal opinion. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to shit on him, right? But he was to me, the worst part of the American Pie main crew. Ain't no. Yes. The guy who was, oh my God. The guy who was also in Rookie of the Year. I'm trying to remember now. Tara something's. Oh, Tara Reed's Tara guy. Tara Reed's guy. His acting was pretty piss poor as well. In yeah. the American Pie movies. I mean, I mean, Jason Biggs and Sean William Scott were like very much the standouts. I mean, Allison Hannigan as well. That, that's why the, the actresses in American Pie, I was all behind, like, every single one of them. The actors, not so much. And Chris Klein was one of those ones where it's just like, I can't look at you and take you seriously as a ruthless all-star lacrosse player. And if I can't do that, I definitely can't take you as a ruthless, you know, surviving this blood sport in underworld Russia version of, of roller derby. At no point. First off, can we do an Allison Hannigan appreciation? Yes. Like her resume. Like Buffy, American Pie, and How I Met Your Mother. Like three, well, absolutely. three for yeah. three. Like Oh, completely. I mean, I'm sure there are some some misfires down the road, but Allison Hannigan always for the win. Yes. Allison Hannigan would have been more threatening than Chris Klein in the rollerball ring. She can just be like uh, Willow and Buffy and just like magic it all the way. Just kick ass. I know. Absolutely. But, but it's... He, if, he, he, if the role is written for Keanu Reeves, and then when you, when, when you realize that, you know you can see where where Keanu Reeves I think would have made the role better. And, and again, this is not a good movie. It's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, and it'd be hard. But I think you needed someone a little bit more, maybe gruff. Well, there's a one scene after he's had a rough night and he's got a four o'clock, four o'clock shadow and it doesn't even look convincing. Like his 
Unday, one day not shaving look looks like it's done. Oh, did they take a black pen and like put dots on it your? It actually on your looks cheeks. like it's like it doesn't look convincing at all. No, um, who was convincing though was LL Cool J. It was one of his first these like big acting roles at well, the time. Well, right? I mean like American Pie and American Pie Two kind of thing, but I mean it was his first action film, you know. And there was a massive difference, and I think that's why the you know the it was someone like Dwayne Johnson can go from action to comedy because he is that talented and, and you do have some actors that can go from action to comedy very well i mean you saw that with tom hanks right if someone told you somewhere down the road you know shortly after joe versus the volcano or big <laughs> that they were going to say to you yeah tom hanks is going to appear as robert langdon and dan brown's the da vinci code angels and demons and you're going to buy him as a potential action star not necessarily like like a hardcore like bruce willis type action star but you know you'll you'll appreciate him as an you know oscar winning action star as well you would sit there going yeah but joe versus the volcano and will meg ryan let him out of their other movies to be able to do it when the rock did get shorty be cool sorry be cool the sequel to get the sequel to to get shorty when he did be cool you knew he had a future in Hollywood. Oh, absolutely. Like he, cause he didn't act like just a tough wrestler walking tall. He was a bit more like what you would expect mm-hmm. in WWE, just a bit toned down. Right. Walking tall is actually a half decent movie. Um, Another remake. Yes. Um, but like in, uh, be cool. You could, you know, there are a lot of things wrong with that movie too, but like way less, way, way less. less. I, uh, but you could tell, you could tell he had, a bit of uh, he had a depth to his talent that would just get even bigger, and now he, he's massive. He also had a much better script written by a much better author with a much better director and a much better surrounding cast. So that is true. Yeah, you know, we're handicapping. Apples and oranges. We're yeah. handicapping, but LL Cool J, you know, was you know, in essence, he was LL Cool J in this. Mm-hmm. But much like how we said with Paul Heyman, you want LL Cool J to be LL Cool J, and it worked in this film. And this is before his longtime TV work. Like, obviously, I bet you there are people that know him more as an actor than a rapper now, mm-hmm. that are younger than us. But uh, he was still making the transition. He was quite good. He yeah. was what he needed to be. Um, he did not feel out of place in this. No. He did not feel like like someone who should not be there. So this leads me to a technical question: What did you think of those whole that whole ten fifteen minute sequence? That is shot in night vision. This was one of those reshoots that had to take place because when they originally shot it, um, they realized that they shot it too dark. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you know, pe- right now people Come are on. Pe- people who are like you know, you know, Game of Thrones was like hold my beer in the final season with that one episode, but you know, as part of one of the reshoots, they're like, well, let's shoot at night vision. For no reason whatsoever, and it was that was hard. It was hard to, to watch. watch. Like I was, you know, I'll I will admit I was watching this the night, you know, last night before we we were recording this. I think, and we, that scene was on at about eleven thirty <laughs> at night, and I'm just like, what? I I felt like I was should, I should have been banging my computer. It's like, did did the screen go? Like, why is this everything green? Like, do I need to to fix something? There it, are filters on your phone now that mm-hmm. are better than what that was. Now, again, 20 years ago, 
2000, yeah, exactly. The cameras in 2002 don't have the ability necessarily to shoot in such low light. You can get a phenomenal DSLR, shoot with minimal light these days, and have it look, you know, almost Hollywood quality. 2002, their answer was to shoot everything of that scene night vision for no reason. Like, I get you do a night vision filter when you have like a sniper looking through and if they use the night vision only when um uh the guy was about to snipe ll cool j before he got to the border that would have made sense but the whole thing was night vision and it's, it's 15 minutes it's hard to watch can you imagine watching that i i can't remember but maybe i accepted it because it was the technology then but like imagine watching that on a big screen yeah like oh uh, there's also a massive plot hole that could have been fixed there Oh, so completely. when when he when Ridley jumps the bridge mm-hmm. and gets over the border and he's right by the gates there and then he gets sniped, you don't really see a whole lot. You see him fall off his bike. You see the the the, the explosion and you see the fall. And the sparks are like from so far away. They made no attempt to shoot anything near those docks. They could have made this movie a lot better, even if it's a cliche. If it's in my head, forget not remembering how the movie ended. In my head. I was like, he's not dead. He's going to come back at the end. But he didn't. He didn't. Thankfully. But you know what I'm saying? He didn't. He could have. And that probably would have made the ending better than what they ended up doing. <laughs> then everyone, I mean? everyone going freaking Lord of the Flies at the end. Oh. It was not It was not good. It's like the worst use of a ending rock song, too. The the soundtrack was good. The in this, soundtrack but, was but, good. But we'll get, we'll get to yeah, that. Yeah. Um, speaking of bad guys. Jean Renault. See, I like him. I I love Ronin. Jean Renault. Ronin, one of the best car chases ever. Godzilla, yeah. the, the the really bad Matthew Broderick Godzilla. Oh. He was possibly the best part of that Godzilla movie because it was so much fun. And the Pink Panther, the one with Steve Martin, like when Jean Renault decides to go over the top. When Jean Renault decides to you know play up the character. It doesn't feel out of place. And if this was the role that Nicolas Cage was offered or was initially intended for, I am so glad it was Jean Renault instead because we know Nicolas Cage can Nicolas Cage all over the place. We know he can act very well, but we also know Nicolas Cage, you know, there are the five stages of Nicolas Cage and we didn't have to get like, you know, Wicker Man stage, you know, not the bees, not the bees. (laughs) You know, that I'm fine with. I picture Nicolas Cage in that scene when, when he's had his face changed. Face uh, off. Face off. Although face I, th- I, th- I think it would have been off. more more closer to what he did in Snake Eyes yeah. as opposed to what he did in any of those movies. But Jean Renault, it, it's just so much fun. You know what? It was probably the one role that had decent scripting. It did. Because you saw how he was, you know, Putting on a guise of I don't want anything to 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 hurt the integrity of the game. Meanwhile, he's like, yeah, but also kill him. <laughs> the 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 rant when uh, he's got Jonathan at his mine mm-hmm. near the end. He's convincing Jonathan to come back and play. And is I do this for you. I do this like you. I do all this for you, and this is how you repay me. One of those exactly. typical mobster rants. It's not bad. Oh my god, we found a third redeeming thing about this movie. Yep. Oh my god. Jean Renault. Jean Renault. Redeeming quality. 
Um, but also beside him was the guy who played Sanjay, Navin Andrews. Um, he was a guy who could have been, you know, smarmy or cutthroat or whatever. Even the scene, which I loved how he played that scene, like after after Jonathan kills Jean Renault, and uh, he's like, "Were well, you looking for these keys?" You know, you know the the thing about taking down a tyrant is you know you know you don't do it unless you make you know a plan or a deal with the with the person to come later, right? It was just, there was there was so much swagger in him, but swagger of a character that knows that they just have to buy their time and their time will come. It was the the the, uh, the line was really good. Oh, I had it written down too. There, now, now the name Navin Andrew doesn't ring a bell to anyone. He looked familiar though. He's been in some things. Exactly. He was in Sensate, in Planet Terror, and Lost, and lots of others. You know, and I think it's one of those things where you know, the rollerball players, LL Cool J aside, felt like you know, Russian gladiator castoffs with you know, with with blades from American gladiators thrown in. Um, but the media moguls who are the ones fixing the things, they came across well. And we've, we've said this before on this show. If the quality of a superhero film is basically gauged not by the superhero per se, but by the villain that they go against, the quality of a film like this, where you have people trying to rise up against a corporation or you know the evil powers that be, the evil powers that be have to be believable enjoyable as movie characters even though their 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 characters aren't good people if they suck the movie sucks yep. and Jean Renault and Navin Andrews definitely did not suck they were they were saving graces of this film you're only as good as your villain exactly that's like a number one rule for all these movies and they were okay the movie was still bad the people around them though like when the Russian guy hops the glass in the last scene he's like they're killing him for the ratings. Like, and then the cop shoots him and the guy in the satellite track. That's not in the script. I'm like, oh my God. Nope. Oh, nope. I, uh, <laughs> there's some bad lines like that throughout, but there, there, I, those there, stood out to there's me. There's a bunch of ensign expendables around them, but yes, Navin Andrews and Jean Renault. Also, Navin Andrews said that when he has that thing, when he catches him, you're looking for the keys. Yep. Yeah. But he's also a moron because Jonathan Cross is standing next to the pool cue gun rack mm-hmm. and just grabs the gun and shoots him like you but, knew. But to that, to, to that oh. token, he didn't necessarily see that it was the shotgun or didn't know that two two shells were loaded into the shotgun. I'm not buying that. But, but the fact that the rest of the guns were still locked in the rack, he's the one that had the key that was able to un- unload. So you know, if he doesn't know that there's two shells in, I, I didn't hate that part I, I, I that stood out to me maybe it was just the jadedness of me watching the whole 90 minutes leading up to this but it was like you know you you, you were jaded and i think i had stockholm syndrome at this point <laughs> stacy i only i don't have a gun let alone a magnitude of guns not necessitate a rack <laughs> watch what i do with a gun rack <laughs> uh we mentioned cameos <laughs> the shane mcmahon one is so blatantly obvious it was, but you also had, of course, a big cameo from Slipknot. So Slipknot was actually performing on the set because I've seen different write-ups about And then there was the random pink videos. Exactly. Well, which I now need. I need a pink and a Corey Taylor outfit. It doesn't need to be Slipknot. It could be, be him solo. It can be him with Stone Sour. 
but I need Pink and Corey Taylor to do some kind of duet together. And I need it to be filmed in some weird dystopian German just shoot it in, just have it in the desert and shoot it in night vision okay. as an extra. So okay, okay. If they should the 20th anniversary DVD release of this piece of, of 2002, movie. I need a Corey Taylor and Pink duet shot in night vision in the middle of the desert. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm sure that even no matter how bad that might look, the song would still be killer. Um, but the the soundtrack itself, right? And I and I wrote down, you know, as far as who's on this because you know it's it's very much a who's who of 2002 hard-hitting music yeah pod drowning pool slipknot naturally rob zombie because he has to be in everything godsmack fear factory hoobastank and green day you know and if this sounds like one of those mixed cds that you put together for the car you know big shiny tunes (laughs) 2.5 very very much so like it's it's you know when you think about 2002 that's that's a that's a big list of some of the biggest bands at that time and the fact that Slipknot's there in full Slipknot regalia I'm I'm all for it not to mention there was a there was a group on there called Beautiful Creatures uh, of which one of the members of Beautiful Creatures is DJ Ashba most people will remember him as the guitarist of 6AM but also the one time guitarist with Guns N' Roses before they reunited with Slash and Duff McKagan now, my only beef with the soundtrack is how they use the last song. So the Rob Zombie Never Gonna Stop song. So they, spoiler alert. They stopped. Yeah. <laughs> they, that, that, yeah. So the, Jonathan and Romaine are getting on this truck. And at this point, the masses have helped them out and they've helped them escape and they're leaving. And and it's a like very dark sea, very dark. It's clearly like, you know. Where are they at this point? Like Azerbaijan or something? I don't even know. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't even know. We can like, get into location in a second because that's... But like, it's all dark and, uh, and she's... You inspired the masses, basically. All of a sudden, right and Sherry, Rob Zombie comes out. Like, what? Well, I think it's funny that that, that, that Never Gonna Stop song comes on um, just as she's like, all right, we, we, we've, we've, we've unshackled our chains and we, we've risen up against the media moguls. Now I'm bringing you home to have sex. Yes. Never going to stop. No. <laughs> also, the, the that last line, so there's the wide shot when she's going under the trailer and half of it is dubbed and you can clearly see her lips not moving. Oh, there was some, there was some bad, oh, bad ADR in this bad. one. Like it, it felt at times like it was uh, a foreign film. <laughs> also, that Never Gonna Stop song was Edge's first solo theme. Again, that that would probably, I was going to say, that's probably a WWE connection. And that's the other thing, too. You think about 2002 WWE, you know, that's very much the kind of music that was was covered in, like, the pay-per-views and the wrestler entrance themes. It very much felt like it could have been a a, a WWE-inspired video game. It could have been. Which I I, I would be cool with Rollerball as a video game. I just figured out. Complete with motorcycles. So you know how they had the wide shots of the rollerball court yeah. track, whatever you want to call it, and it kind of looked like it was a model. And I'm trying to think of what it reminded me of: Beyblades. Okay, the kids play Beyblades. I I can I can see that, uh, and I mean that's the thing, right? When you talk about roller derby, it's very much just an oval. Right, and unless you know someone's trying to make it extreme, right? But here, it, you know, obviously, rollerball is this, there's more to it than just you know spinning around and trying to. I don't even know how roller derby is scored. Um, I'm sure there's rules. I've never actually gotten 
gotten into the actual scoring. I of believe it. there is actual officiating, but I'm not sure. It is, but you know, but at the end of rollerball, there's no rules. No rules. No rules. It was basically a no DQ match. It was. You see that in Raw all the time. They expected Hulk Hogan and Zeus to come out. No holds barred. <laughs> brother. Brother. With the 24 inch pythons, brother. God. I can't believe we just did a Hulk Hogan imitation. I know. Again. <laughs> this happens to be a podcast thing. Whenever I go on a podcast, I do that. I don't know why. That happens. Well, I mean, at least you didn't have to watch Rollerball and all those other appearances. Although you did watch The Love Guru the last time, so... What bad movie we're doing next? Oh dear God! I thought of one, but it, go on. I, uh, I, we'll, we'll talk about that off, off, you know, uh, afterwards. And but, by the way, for our listeners, if you do have a movie suggestion, please shoot it out there because for some reason we like watching really crappy movies with the with the with the mindset that you have to go find something good in them. And so I think we've so far we've done good, right? But I think it's time we need to talk about John McTiernan. Okay, do we want to get into the amount of like, I have a whole thing here about the trouble he got in. Yeah, like it's incredible. He was he was sent to prison for everything that was kind of going on with this movie. Anyone involved with rollerball should have been sent to jail just for bad except for Jean Reno. Jean yes. Reno is a treasure. But yeah, no. Uh, quoting from Wikipedia in this, okay? So, 2013, he was sent to prison for making a false statement to the FBI, to an FBI investigator about hiring a private investigator to illegally wiretap uh, Charles Rowan, who was the producer of Rollerball. Now, here's the thing. McTiernan was obviously having disagreements. Finger Studio quotes. Studio invasion. Studio invasion. Yeah. Right? And uh, I don't know if in 2002, he could have very easily just you know, Alan Smithied the whole thing and just, you know, walked away because, or at least taking his name off the film. But, you know, here's John McTiernan. We, we mentioned his filmography as a director from before. So last action hero aside, you know, there's, there's a lot of really, really big, big name, well-received action movies. So I wonder how much ego is in, on him trying to get this done um, and I, you know, who knows how much of the, the, the reshoots he directed, like he should have just Alan Smith. He did just say, look, he should have. Yeah. Well, and, and is it, so he, he wiretapped, he had the other producer wiretapped to try and catch the guy making negative remarks about the studio executives or said things to others that were inconsistent with what he said to the studio. So he got four months in prison. Then the case reopened. They ended up getting almost a year in prison. And then after that, his ex-wife sued him, alleging that he used the same private investigator to wiretap her during divorce negotiations. So clearly this guy doesn't trust anyone. Paranoid. Right. And, and, then, when you, and then his resume, there's this, there's one other movie, and then nothing. From the guy who directed Die Hard. To- also, it's hard to imagine the guy directing Die Hard and this. They they are two very 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 different movies, um, but to the same token as well. I mean, you know, you could see the guy who directed Last Action Hero directing this, but you know, and that's the thing. You know, clearly, there are issues with him as far as the studio, you know, studios, you know, like the big plural kind of thing goes, you know. <laughs> You didn't need to go that far. You didn't need to do that. You didn't need to lie about it. You didn't need to... Did, did he need to go to prison? No, it's just a bad movie. And and directors do recover from bad movies. You just need to kind of get over yourself. But clearly there are some so, some things there that we, we just don't know 
we really don't know and you, know, you don't want to cast aspersions on anything but when you realize that all this is going on behind the scenes while they're making the film if the focus is not on making the film then the film is going to suffer and i think the film did suffer in this the reshoots and the re-edits made this worse and again it's not a pg-13 movie this should have been an r movie mm-hmm. so you could go full out in some of the some of the battle scenes and also they redid the music the score was redone because they bt did it initially and they ruled it to be too dark. Oh no, not Arabic enough. Uh, too, too, or too Arabic or something. Or too like. Arabic, something like that. But so they the, had Eric Sarah did it, and it's and a lot of it sounded like a really bad video game. And that's the thing. Like there, there, there were clearly tracks from the original soundtrack that did probably stay. And I'm thinking about the the night vision chase scene, um, which really kind of stood out. And I and I personally thought that track was brilliant even though I was straining my eyes to watch the whole thing, <laughs> right? Like, it, it, the music was not the problem. There no. were way more problems with the music. The music was, from what I heard, and if, if any of that actually stayed in, the, it's good. Yeah. It's very good. I, I I am curious, though, to watch what would have been the original cut. I know. That cut that got destroyed in that screening, it might mm-hmm. not have been that bad. And, that, and that's the thing, like... You, you hear so many times the studio interference made the movie worse looking at you, Suicide Squad. <laughs> right? Or Justice League. Or, or basically almost anything in the DCEU. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, if the studios step away then the you know, and let the directors have their say and let the movie stand on its own, better or for worse, you know, you're, you're going to have a happier crew. Right. And sometimes a happier crew means a happier product. Right. Now, that being said, if they'd gone with an R, R movie and still made some changes and whatnot, but left it as a hard R, then it's going to affect the box office. And I think that's where the studio is kind of coming from. If they're putting $70 million into the film. Right. And you know, a hard R is going to limit the number of people that are going to be able to come and see it, then you're not going to make your money back. This didn't make its money back, anyways. But people but- don't think that now. Like twenty years later, like our movies do well. I think you have you can thank Deadpool yep. for that. And I mean, yes, I recognize that the Passion of the Christ was the first big money making R movie, right? But I think Deadpool proved that you can do it, still have fun, and make a phenomenal movie, right? I'm not saying Passion of the Christ is a bad movie. I'm just saying Deadpool proved that it can work, and then Logan definitely proved it can work. You can have a good R movie, but I wonder too, like if if they go if you go too far, then you then you venture into NC-17 territory, and you're looking at if memory serves, I think the highest grossing ever NC-17 film is Showgirls. Showgirls is NC-17. I'm, yeah, Showgirls is NC-17. You know what's funny? Like Showgirls now comes off as quite tame in some areas in in some areas yes um but it's and and you know if i'm wrong please twitter please feel free to correct me i i i do not claim to be any source of all knowledge i just you know kind of pretty (laughs) pretty sure i know what i know but i don't but you know what you know i I know i'm wrong sometimes (laughs) showgirls in its own was not good either oh god no i mean so but if it's a good movie, even if it's R, people will go. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if it stands out. Like, Rollerball could have had, if it was done properly, could have been a franchise. It could have been. Could have said that about anything. But, like, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're cutting a movie and making it worse, then what are you doing? 
Might just stick to an R rating. But again, studio interference. Yeah. I mean, if you take a look at a movie like Triple X, which kind of came out, I think, around that time as well, you know, you had Vin Diesel doing extreme sports, yet still kind of working for some shadow government agency. If you take that same, not necessarily that have Chris Klein as some, you know, shadow government operative trying to, you know, get in and break up the world of rollerball. But even as I say that now, off the top of my head, even that feels like a better movie. And then you could easily have Sanjay at the end say, you may have stopped this one, but you have not stopped us all. Right? And then rollerball to the roller ring. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so maybe the sequel wouldn't be that good. But but, but even in saying that, right, that in itself feels like, or even have Rebecca Romaine as someone who's already undercover. Although the fact that she's named the Black Widow. That's foreshadowing. That foreshadow. No, no, no. I mean, obviously she's not, oh, wait, she, yeah. she's not Natasha Romanoff, but I could also see Scarlett Johansson in this yeah. movie. There's, I mean, be, again, it would be interesting if they actually looked into making this now, mm-hmm. they could do it in a much better way. I mean, you don't even have to make it a rollerball thing. You could have it as the, you know, an underground extreme sport that is, you know, upping, upping violence for ratings. And then someone decides to go in and break it up clandestinely, um, you know, it's 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 almost like and and you know, I'm gonna bring up a, a a reference from a previous episode of this podcast, Jim Cotta, and I can't believe I just mentioned Jim Cotta and Rollerball at the same time. Whereas Jim Cotta is like, you know, like this again, government agency sends in you know our our gold medal winning gymnast to you know to play the game in <laughs> you know in in uh, Parmashtan in order to be able to you know like win the ability for for America to put a Star Wars station in their country and it's like even that sounds better than rollerball right now you know what you can remake rollerball now if you had an unlimited budget mm-hmm. improve the script a little bit Enable an R rating. Mm-hmm. You could bring back LL Cool J in the same role. Yep. Because he looks the same. He, the guy doesn't age. Liam Neeson as Jonathan Cross. No. 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 You you still you still need to actually have Nick Cage play the owner. Jason Statham as Jonathan Ooh. Cross, I think would work. Because Jason yeah. Statham, I would believe as someone who would actually survive a round of rollerball. Yes. You know. I mean, I'm not saying Chris Klein wasn't fit. You know, he he was he was you know fit enough, but at no point did he seem like he was going to survive a bloodletting. No, no, no. He barely made it through this one. You know, spoiler. Exactly. He lives. He Sorry, lives. folks. He lives. Rollerball two coming soon to a theater oh. near you. <laughs> you know, you could. There are many things about the movie that just like some movies don't age well, and this is one. Mm-hmm. And I think if you made it now, you could do it much better. Incorporate the social media aspect of the ratings thing. Put a better actor in the Jonathan Cross. Sorry, Chris Klein. And that's like we've seen this kind of underground organization, you know, uh, blood sport for money and viewers kind of thing work. Hello, The Running Man. Mm-hmm. The Running Man was a perfect example of how it could work. And again, you had someone on the inside who was trying to fight their way out of the whole thing. You know, Nineteen, yeah, you know, and I can't remember what year it came out. Of. I want, to, I want to say nineteen ninety-seven, but it could be wrong. But the Running Man definitely worked because you had, you know, a big name star in Arnie, 
right? You had like a very over the top show host slash you know person running the show, and I could easily see Jean Reno still playing in that same role. Like I'd be fine with Jean Reno just kind of staying in that role, right? Totally fine with that. Um, but you know, and then you had like you know this this cast of surrounding characters, you know, like it it, it Running Man felt like a boss fight or a boss level fight you know, like video game, Rollerball, I think, needed to do that because, you know, you had you had the team, right? You had his team, and then you had a bunch of basically, like, you know, Washington Generals knockoffs of teams that were never going to actually win anyways. And in the movie, whenever they played the other team, it was the same group of people in different costumes. Yeah, because, of course, budget, right? Yeah. But, I mean, that's where the costuming comes in. But the costuming... You know, we joked around about this looking like some weird German new wave band. Like it's like the scene in Dodgeball where they get the bondage gear sent to them by accident, <laughs> and, and, and and it's almost like that would have worked here. But in a in a weird kind of way, I actually didn't hate the costuming, and I, and I and I point out the helmet of Rebecca Romaine. It the was hockey mask. No, 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 not, no, not the hockey mask. No, she wore the hockey mask when she got traded yeah, to yeah, the yeah, other yeah, team. Yeah. But like that very, very cool, like like tall yeah. red helmet kind of thing. Like there was some very cool costuming ideas, and you have to think that some kind of you know underworld, um, foreign country, you know, kind of league is going to if they if they're looking the whole idea of why they're they're raising the stakes on the on the court is for ratings then of course these costumes are going to be for ratings. It's going to look like a weird dystopian Mad Max roller derby. Um, but I like the fact that they, they kind of modernized it and they made it a bit more lavish and new wave. Not even necessarily new wave, but I mean, you know, if you if you had a some weird techno electronica cover band that only did Slipknot and Rammstein covers, I'm pretty sure that this is what they would look like. The only beef I had with the costuming is the one scene where uh, Romaine is getting ready and uh, all you see, she, she's got her padding on. Mm-hmm. That's not padding. That's not padding. That protects nothing. No. Come on. That, that, that wouldn't even work in a softball league. No. No. Um, <laughs> something that really, really stood out for me as I, I had to stop and I had to play it back again. Because I had to make sure I heard what I heard. In the night vision chase scene, when the when the motorcycle has to kind of go off the dirt off the dirt road already as it is. Oh and, yeah, and he's compl- Oh yeah, and that's uh, but we're the, going too fast. No, no, no. But as they bust through the fence. Yeah. The, I'm like, I feel like I'm watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon now. And they did it again. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) it's not even like, you know, I I personally, personally do not know (laughs) what what it sounds like if you were to drive at 110 miles per hour through a wire fence, but I guarantee you it it does not sound like when Wile E. Coyote lands on a trampoline. That's kind of... Sound effect they used. It is. It's so bad. It's so out there. And maybe so at this pronounced. point, if they're at the reshoot, re-edit stage, maybe they're just like, "Screw it, we're gonna make this as bad as possible." It's, 
and you know if they had done that all the way through you at least could sit there and say okay this is kind of fun and funny but it's, it's a one time it's there, there's a there's kind of a rule in like when you when you put a defect in or something like that you know once is an oversight twice is a mistake three times is an effect right all, well and we, all, we yeah. have two boings <laughs> and also also they because it's that bad night vision you can't even see what they're doing yeah so you infer that they're breaking through the fence but you don't actually see the fence it's just like blurry yeah Boing. Like, what, what is that well, while you're straining your eyes going what the hell is going on all of a sudden this very loud <laughs> <laughs> like I, I can't even imagine like to, to I won't. It sounds like someone had an accident in the Foley studio, <laughs> and they hit that little door stopper, that little spring door stopper that every kid plays with. Yeah, you know, they just lie on the floor and play, play, keep play, it, keep it. Keep it. That, that works. That'll work perfectly that in the night vision scene. Perfectly timed. Do it again. <laughs> like, it, oh my god. Uh, at, at that point, you have to sit there and say, "We have no more money for sound effects. Go, go lie on the floor and go play with the door stop. <laughs> that, oh. that should work." Also, severe apologies to the Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan travel agencies because they mm-hmm. made all these countries hell holes that you would never want to go to. I, I'm curious now. Worse for Kazakhstan, Rollerball or Borat? I think Borat's better for Kazakhstan. I possibly. You want to bet it's actually increased tourism there? I, I wouldn't be surprised. But and I, 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 house. I do feel bad for the Kazakhstani athlete that had the Borat version of the national anthem play when, when they <laughs> yes. won the medal. <laughs> the IOC anthem guy, you had one job. You had one job and you did it poorly. <laughs> it would have been better if they if they had you know put the flags up, start the music, and all you hear is boing. That would have been a bit more appropriate as opposed <laughs> to the Borat version of the Kazakhstani national anthem. <laughs> That's like a... Uh, Marley's home opener this year. We haven't had an anthem singer yet because mm-hmm. of co- we've just we've hardly done anything on the ice because of COVID, and uh, we were just playing the anthem up the track, and there was a mess up, and uh, they started it again. Oh no! Yeah, uh, did, did they did they follow it up with boy the crowd? Thing? Yeah, no, should have. <laughs> Although there was, and the music guy was having trouble, so his computer crashed. So you heard the Microsoft Bidoo out in the bowl. <laughs> I I feel I feel now with the Boeing. I want to take that. Boing. I want to take that boing sound, and I want to use it for every single hockey hit and football tackle in a sports video. Because oh. I, because I could so. I I just I want to put a video. This is a compilation video of, of hard hitting hockey and football type hits, and replace all like the 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 glass crunching noise with boing. So if someone <laughs> at the College of Sports Media was to make a video. <laughs> Of hockey hits, and it would have put that sound effect in. Is that less marks or more marks? Oh, God, more. For creativity. Lord, that'd be so much fun. It's not fun in this. It just stands out like, what the hell am I doing? Like As, as if the characters weren't cartoony enough. And this is all after, and the music doesn't match, and he's been complaining, we're going too fast. 140 miles an hour? <laughs> Dude, you're trying to escape, like, the clearly, guy shooting you. and you're clearly, you have, clearly they haven't driven the 407. No. <laughs> but now, now, I, I want to take all, the, like, the hits in Rollerball out and replace it with, like, when the dude gets smashed in the face with the ball. Yes. The next time you watch this film, right, if you ever do, in your mind, just hear, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Uh, yeah. Okay, so let, let's take it to Twitter because Twitter has spoken on this one. Um, our friends well, at did. our friends at the FJ podcast uh, chimed in with rollerball was a commentary on the bloodlust inherent in many professional sports and how little TPTB cared about the players. By removing all the criticisms on sports and focusing on the violence, the makers of the remake clearly did not understand the movie they were remaking. It wasn't even that violent. I, it, it should have been, though. It should have been. It should have been. It sh- it sh- it, you're right. It should have been an R movie. It should have been more um, dystopian. It should have been more... But it wasn't. Less boings, more <laughs> substance... If I make a movie, that's gonna be called that. Less boing, Less boing more substance. More substance. It'd be a drug cartel or something. That'll be that'll be the first T-shirt merchandise that we put out for the show. It's Less not that boing. bad. Less less boing, more substance. Less boing, more substance. I, I would I would sell that shirt, and I would totally I would totally buy that shirt. Um, the Lord Chief Raka uh, also chimed in with the remake has no raison d'être, vacuous and boring. I don't I don't know if it was boring. Vacuous? If they knew what vacuous meant, <laughs> and uh, the sounds like what ha- it sounds like. What, it sounds like what happens after I have too much uh, chili. I, I do. I do agree. It has no raison d'être. I don't think it's boring. Um, it has a reason of being, mm-hmm. but it didn't articulate it well at all. No, like those randomly cut, like Chinese commercials, Japanese commercials, whatever those were. Those had a purpose, but no one ever like put that purpose together. Exactly, and I mean, when we first get to the rollerball arena. Right after after they get out of San Francisco, and all of a sudden Jonathan's a star, um, which that happened fast. But I'm kind of happy it did. Even you skipped the whole part where you didn't make the NHL. Exactly, which I don't even think he tried out for the NHL. I think it was just like straight straight from. Line. He's going to the minors. Yeah, and now he's trying to avoid going to the mines. You needed that scene like an Adam Sandler. Um a happy Gilmore where he actually tries out for hockey and loses his mind mm-hmm. and says, screw it, I'm going to roll a ball. I wonder if that's the half hour that got cut. <laughs> but but I will say, like, there's that whole thing in that first match where a lot of the point of view is from the broadcast of the actual event. And it reminded me a little bit, I mean, aside from, um, aside from the running man, and aside from you had mentioned dodgeball and how a lot of that, uh, the initial lead up to the final match of the tournament was covered very much broadcast style. Yes. Um, it reminded me a little bit of the movie Stardom, which starred Jessica Paré and Dan Aykroyd in how that whole movie was done from the point of view, not of the people in the movie, but from the the point of view of the media covering Jessica Paré's character. And they were able to maintain that entire tone through the entire movie, through that entire point of view, until the last scene where she kind of walks away from uh, the whole thing. Stardom is a brilliant, brilliant movie. Memory serves uh, directed by Denny Arcand. Um, but if it had been more that, where like every part of the action rollerball scenes is seen from the broadcast point of view, you know, and if you think about Twitch streamers now, yeah. Right? They have all these stats on the screen at the time. You see viewer counts and all that kind of stuff. You could almost see, as you said, you could those do- ratings counters they had in the movie. Mm-hmm. You could do that now with Twitch. Exactly. Like you can see exactly when the numbers bump. So, I mean, if you had, if you did do a rollerball re remake in 2022, 
right? Um, you could very easily have it being broadcast on Twitch and, you know, streaming organizations looking at the numbers and that kind of graphic overlay makes sense to us now. I mean, yes, we joked around that it looks like a bad PlayStation cutscene, like PlayStation 1 cutscene, um, but that's a 19-year-old film. Yeah. You know, you can do it now with how much is getting streamed out there on Twitch as it is. Even though, even if you watch e-gaming competitions, it's like it's very much that. I think Rollerball, in 2002, I don't think Rollerball needed a remake. In 2022, I think Rollerball could be made as a remake and have it be much more relevant considering the media landscape today. Although I, I do appreciate how the push for WWE to become more mainstream, uh, considering the acquisitions that they made at the time, that part makes sense, but uh, 2022 would be right before, uh, for a remake. Uh, one of the other comments from the FJ podcast kind of in response to that was like, it's like remaking RoboCop without understanding Verhoeven was criticizing Violet Entertainment, not celebrating it. That point's bang on. Yeah. That point is bang on because, you know, the original Rollerball was about that was about the like the the glamorization and the 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 promotion of violence for ratings and money that makes sense that was lost in translation here but i think given the right director and the right cast and the right medium that they're portraying it on a la twitch i think rollerball can work as a 2022 or 2023 remake and very much still fit the time yep Especially, like you say, with how technology, like the the, the the remake here doesn't age well. Watching it almost twenty years later because of the technology that was used, you could do the movie so much better, much better, and you could incorporate the current media landscape and Twitter and Twitch and whatever. Let's uh, let's pitch it. Let's find a studio. Let's find a studio, right? Say, hey, remember that rollerball movie? You know the one that sucked in two thousand two. Bring back Chris Klein. Give him a do over. No, 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 no. See how badly Matrix does <laughs> this holiday season. See if Keanu's up for it this time. No, no, Keanu's much better than that. Although, if it was done properly, Keanu Reeves would be great, be great. as 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 the Jean Renault character. Yep. Yeah. Um. But again, I I'd still be cool to see like Jason Statham in like the LL Cool J role, and you know, someone like maybe a um maybe not a Charlize Theron, but more like a Mila Jovovich in that role that was played by Rebecca Romaine. Um, obviously, we're now recasting a future a future remake of Rollerball. Recasting a movie that will not happen. It will never happen, although if it does happen, you heard it here first. Rollerball remake. Boing. And the boings would work on a Twitch stream. Boing. <laughs> it would totally work on a... As a Twitch stream, the boings can stay, and I'm fine with that. But now it's come to the time that we have... We have Fought through trying to find something good to say about Rollerball. So now it's time to toss it to you. So, Simon, who is your MVP of 2002's Rollerball? Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman. He he very much was the tone-setting, you know, exposition machine. He was the glue of the story, which in many ways leads you to judge this movie even worse. But he was sort of the story arc glue mm-hmm. that was needed in this piss poor movie. And in 2002, he is the perfect person yeah. for that role. You can, you, like, this is 2002 Paul Heyman, not Brad Lesnar advocate Paul Heyman mm-hmm. or Roman Reigns advocate but, but Paul But even Paul Heyman would, you know, today would still be good in that same role. 
Paul Heyman could be the owner. He could very well be the owner. He could very well be one of oh, those he'll, people. He'll be the guy with the random cameo that you keep cutting away to, like I, Shane McMahon. I'd be fine. Like, or he would be the coach of the team that was constantly yelling at them that I'm not even sure what the hell the coach was doing at the time. <laughs> but for me, the, the MVP, it's 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 clear cut as day in this one, and it's Jean Renault. You know, anytime he's on screen, even when he's being so over the top and so grandiose, you cannot... You cannot but smile when Jean Reno is on the screen and no matter what he does. And I, I dare say that he is far too fine an actor to be in this film. And yet here we are and we're better off for it because of him. We just talked for an hour. About Over an hour ball. about Rollerball. We just did that. We, we, we have talked almost as long as Rollerball runs now. And we've talked longer than what was cut out of the movie. <laughs> By the way, Coach Ol- Coach Olga, Mary from Corner Gas, really? Yeah, I okay. I didn't even I didn't even pick unrecognizable. Up on that. I because I was trying to pick her out and I couldn't quite recognize her. Tell, tell me her name was actually Coach Olga in the film. That's what the credits say. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> that that is classic. You know, Canadian reference there for for Corner Gas fans. I I didn't even pick up that. I w- I was still shocked that Pink and Slipknot were teasing a duet that will, will someday <laughs> needs to happen. Um, and Pink could pull it off, and Corey Taylor, I'm sure, Pink could still do it. it. You know, dear Corey Taylor, dear Pink, please make this happen. Make this do that kind of like James Bond duet kind of film or song. For the eventual Rollerball on Twitch 2022 or 2023 movie. Oh, I am fine with this. This actually happens now. If this, if this happens, all right, I'm. this is going to be the most listened to podcast ever because they'll be like, <gasps> they told the future. No. <laughs> It'll never happen. The future is... The future There'll is, be a movie about something to be made and put on a screen. Yes, near you. Near you. And we'll have boings. <laughs> Simon, thank you so much for this. Now, to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of It's Not That Bad. Now, if you have a movie that you think is unfairly maligned or is so bad, like this one, that we, there's no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast. Let us know. We'll watch it, we'll dissect it. Um, we will go to therapy afterwards after watching it in some cases like this one um, Stockholm Syndrome all the way but we will talk about it and we will find the good things in those poorly reviewed movies this is It's Not That Bad I'm your host Jason until next time take care achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. 
I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.